What a blessing, amen. And old J. Vernon McGee used to say, if you knew me like I knew me, you wouldn't want to come hear me preach. And then he would always say this, but if I knew you like you know you, I wouldn't want you to come hear me preach. You know, the one thing we've all got, we've all got a past, don't we? We really do. And aren't you glad God looked beyond all that? And as they sang about grace, God saved us by His grace, made all that right. And uh, boy, I tell you what, it's good to be saved. Praise the Lord. And I just want to say I love Him as well. Maybe not like I ought to, but y'all pray for me. I'm a work in progress, but I want to sure love Him more in these days. How many of you brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building tonight? And I want to ask you to join me on page number 325. Uh, or the book of First Samuel, chapter number 7, in the Old Testament tonight, First Samuel, chapter number 7. I'd like to read some verses here in a moment and uh, just uh, maybe say a th- uh, uh, two or three things about this, this text tonight as we continue uh, making our way uh, through this great book of the Bible. First Samuel, chapter 7. Hope you'll pray for Sunday, the Lord's Day that we'll have a good day. I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it's an optical illusion because we have taken, had to take chairs out for social distancing. But I think the masks have actually helped our Wednesday night crowd just a little bit. Or it looks like it has. And maybe it's because we don't have as many chairs in here. But I'm glad you're here. I, I'm, I was just counting a moment ago and there's 2,414,923 in church tonight. And that's a good crowd. And I appreciate so much you coming to be with us in the house of God tonight. All right, if you're there at 1 Samuel chapter 7, let's begin reading in verse number 1. Here's what the Bible said. And the men of kerjath Jerem came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eliezer his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in kerjath Jerem that the time was long. For it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel, now Samuel's back on the scene. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you, uh, pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah, uh, to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the, uh, the children of Israel in Mizpah. Look at verse 7. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when, they, and when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, let me read verse 9. And Samuel took a sucking lamb, a young lamb, and offered it for a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And Samuel, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, 
The Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before the Lord. They were so disoriented. That's what the word disconfitted. They, they were disoriented before the Lord. And, and the Bible said they were smitten. And the men of Israel, verse 11, went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came unto Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Sheen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Well, I'm interested in that phrase, Ebenezer. Boy, what a phrase. Let's pray. Father, bless your word. Help us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. After the death of Moses and Joshua, up until the time that Israel got her kings, was a period of about 350 years. Moses and Joshua were the great leaders of the nation of Israel. We know later on that the kings became great leaders in the land of Israel. However, between that 350-year period, God was not without his leaders because God had leaders in that period of time, but they were known as judges. And without doubt, out of all the 15 judges that are mentioned in the Bible, without doubt, Samuel was head and shoulders above all the others. Samuel was one of the most godliest greatest leaders that Israel ever had. We've talked much about his life as we've worked through his story in these recent days. We spent a lot of time talking back in chapter 1 about the mother of Samuel. We spent much time in chapter number 2 talking about the mentor of Samuel. We spent a lot of time in chapter 3 talking about the ministry of Samuel. But then at the end of chapter 3, Samuel kind of walks out of his own story. And we have four cha three chapters, chapter 4, 5, and 6, where there is no Samuel. Now, one of the great events that takes place during that period of time, and it's about a 20-year period of time that elapses there, one of the great events that happens is that the nation of Israel goes out to fight with these Philistines, and as they battle, Israel is smitten before the Lord. I mean, right when the battle started, Israel lost 4,000 of their soldiers, and somebody said, we better go get the ark if we're going to be victorious in this battle. Now, the only problem with that is Israel is away from God. They're disobedient. They're living in a time of great rebellion against the Lord. But somebody thought if we could just get the ark like it's some kind of a four-leaf clover or a rabbit's foot or a genie in a bottle, if we can get that thing and bring it up here, God will just show up and make all of our problems, all of our troubles go away. You know, in our day, pretty much people still have that same kind of uh, philosophy or notion when it comes to God. We can treat God just any old way that we want to treat Him, put Him on the back burner, put Him in the trunk of the car, but whenever trouble comes, somebody go grab God, get Him out, rub on Him just a little bit, he'll pop out of his bottle and he'll make everything okay. The only problem about that is, ladies and gentlemen, is that God just don't work that way. So they grab the ark. Remember that? They come back to the battle. Israel's excited. They're shouting, but then the war breaks out and the Philistines whoop
whooped the fire out of the Israelites. In fact, not only did they lose 4,000 men in the first skirmish of the battle, but they wind up losing 30,000 men. And the Bible said that the Philistines not only soundly defeat the Israelites, but they steal the ark of God. It's such a sad day in the nation of Israel when that, that precious piece of furniture, the greatest article of furniture ever made by human hands, more than any other article of that furniture in that Old Testament tabernacle, that piece of furniture, the ark, four feet long, two and a half feet wide, two and a half feet high, overlaid with a slab of pure gold, that ark represented God more so than any other article of furniture. And now Israel has lost their ark. It was such a sad day. Look back into chapter number 4, if you will, just briefly, because this is going to bring us up to where we're at tonight. The Bible said that when news gets back to the land of Israel from the battle, that, uh, that uh, Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, have been killed in the battle that 30,000 soldiers has, uh, has been slaughtered in the battle. Eli, the Bible said, is sitting in a chair. He falls back and breaks his neck. The great religious leader in the land of Israel has now, has now died. And the Bible said that one of the, the sons of Eli, Phinehas' wife, who's expecting a child, hearing all this bad news, launches her into premature labor. And she goes into labor, and just before she dies, she gives birth to a man-child. And according to verse number 21, she named the man-child Ichabod, saying, The glory hath departed. Can I say it like this? Ichabod, God has departed. But now we leave that situation in chapter number 4 and we come over to chapter 7 and we run into another great name in our Bible and that's the name Ebenezer. Ichabod, the glory hath departed. God has gone. God has left us. Uh, Ebenezer means the Lord showed back up and he has helped us. Now the message tonight is this. How do we get from Ichabod to Ebenezer? How do we get to a place from where God is nowhere present, nowhere seen, to a place where God is once again moving and fighting on the behalf of his people? You know, I can't think of a better word, that maybe a better name that we could give America today than the name Ichabod because, because seemingly the glory hath departed from the nation of the United States. It seems like God has walked off and just left us. We have so turned our back on the Lord and we've stamped our approval upon things that God never stamped his approval upon. And we've accepted things and we've flaunted our sins in the, in the, in the, in the holy face of God. And we've said, Lord, leave us alone. And ladies and gentlemen, God has done that very thing. And look at the mess that we're in in America tonight. Look at the civil unrest. Look at all the national calamities that are coming upon our nation. Look at the disease that we're infected with. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's ever been a time that we've needed God in America, it's tonight. But it seems like God has written Ichabod. The glory hath departed. God has left America. But if there's one thing that we need tonight, we need an Ebenezer.
Amen. We need for God to come back again. And by the way, aren't you glad? He will come back again. He promised us in the Bible that if we'd meet certain conditions, that he would come back again, and he would not only come back, but he would help us once again. If he did it for Israel, listen, he's no respect of person. He'll do it for the United States of America. We can go from Ichabod to Ebenezer once again. How sad it is when the glory departs. You know, the glory has departed from our nation. How sad indeed is a nation that God's glory has departed from. Uh, God's glory has departed from many churches. Many churches used to be strongholds for God. People could go there and feel the presence of the Lord and get under conviction and get saved. But through the process of time, that church has drifted away from God and the glory God has left that church. There are preachers that God has departed from, God has left. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, how sad indeed it is for anybody to lose the glory of God. But aren't you glad tonight that the same God that may walk off is the same God who may come walking back in again and help us once again. Boy, we need an Ebenezer. Amen. Don't you be content with the Nicobod. Hey, let's don't dwell. Let's just don't say, well, this is just the way it's got to be and the Lord will come back and take care of it all. Listen, let's pray for an Ebenezer once again. The Lord to help us. Amen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I guess the $10 million question is this. How in the world do we have an Ebenezer again? How in the world can we get from this bad place, Ichabod, to the God place, of Ebenezer. Well, if you look in our text tonight, I want to show you what the nation of Israel did under the leadership of Samuel. Now, by the way, Samuel was not just a, a priest. He was not just a judge. He was not just a great leader in the land of Israel. He was not just a prophet. Boy, he was a great military mind as well, evidently, because, buddy, he leads the nation of Israel into a war here. But wait a minute. It's not so much what happened after the war what it was is what happened before the Lord of the war. Buddy, when they begin to do some things in this text, the Bible said God showed up and they've got an Ebenezer on their hands. The Lord hath helped us. Well, wouldn't you like to say that? How many of you need the help of God? Well, I do. More than I need anything in my life, I need for God to help me. How can I get from an Ichabod where God walks off to an Ebenezer where God walks back in and just starts helping us again? Boy, our church needs an Ebenezer. What we need for God to move, I tell you, COVID has just brought us to a standstill, ladies and gentlemen. But I'm not content with a standstill. I want to see God move again and God help us once again. Ebenezer, Ebenezer. If you don't pray for nothing else, pray for Ebenezer. I'm I'm not talking about Ebenezer Scrooge neither. Pray for Ebenezer. What about that? Ichabod Crane, Ebenezer Scrooge. We need an Ebenezer. How do we do it? We'll look in our text tonight, and I want to say three things about this place of Ebenezer. All right? By the way, look again at chapter 7. Look again at verse 12. Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer. What does that name mean? It means this, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. I can't think of anything that we need more in our church, in our nation, in our families, in our individual lives. We need for God to help us. Ebenezer. Ebenezer. God, give us 
and Ebenezer. How do we get there? Three steps. Look at chapter 7. Three steps to an Ebenezer. First of all, Ebenezer, number one, was a place of repentance. A place of repentance. Now, I've said a whole lot, and I'm not going to go back and say it all over again, but I've said a lot in these Wednesday evening services about the sad condition, sad spiritual condition that the nation of Israel was in at this time. I've talked about the sad spiritual condition of the leaders of the nation of Israel. I'm talking about Eli. I'm talking about Phinehas and Hophni, his sons. I'm telling you, those, that family was a mess, was it not? I mean, they, it was terrible what was going on in the house of God. But then we come to chapter 7 and we find out the people of God were, no, were not much better. Because when we look at verse number 3 of chapter number 7, we find that even the people of God had gathered the strange gods unto them. That's the reason in verse 3 Samuel says, Hey, put away the strange gods uh, which are among you. Now, wait a minute. I mean, what's so amazing about that statement is the nation of Israel has gathered these strange gods, and what's so amazing about that is, man, they have seen the true and the living God work. I mean, they've heard. If they haven't seen it, they have heard about what God did in their past, how, how, how powerful, how mighty that God was. When they, uh, he dried up the Red Sea and the Jordan River and the walls of Jericho fell and God began to rain the stars from heaven upon Sisera. I mean, they've heard about all that. Why in the world would they want to turn their back on all that and gather gods unto them which were no gods? What an amazing statement. These people that had heard about God, that had seen God do great and mighty things, have now gathered unto themselves, started worshiping false gods. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something about the God of the Bible, and that's this. God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. He really is. And God will not share His glory nor His people with another God. That's right. God is very jealous over his people. One of the ten fundamental commands of God is these words right here. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. Talking about strange gods, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. God's jealous over his people. And buddy, let me tell you something. God is provoked to jealousy when he sees his people bowing at the altars of gods that are no gods. You've heard me say this before, they may be a God but they, that has ears, but they can't hear. They may have eyes, but they can't see. They may have hands, but they can't feel. They may have legs, but they can't move. They may have mouths, but they can't speak. They're false, dumb gods. There's only one God. His name is Jehovah God, and he has a son by the name of Jesus. Amen. And these people are gathering these false gods unto themselves. And when that happened, when, when God's people begin to gather these false gods among themselves, can I say this? God walked off. He did. God departed from his people. Now let me stop and say this. Uh, because of these people gathering these strange gods unto them, the Bible said there in verse number 2 that they're now living in a state of misery. Look at verse 2. The Bible said in verse number 2, the last phrase, it's been 20 years now, what does that mean? It's been 20 years since Israel lost the ark back in that previous battle in 1 Samuel chapter 4. So 20 years has passed. There's been no ark. There's been no moving of God. And the Bible said this at the end of verse number 2, they lamented, they wept 
after the Lord. Can I stop and say that the most miserable person in the world tonight is not the man who is lost, but the most miserable person in the world tonight is the person who is saved, who has turned away from the Lord. Boy, I want to tell you the end result of turning away from God as a child of God is misery. You see, there's one basic difference between the person who is saved and the person who is unsaved. And the difference is even though they both may sin and they both will sin, the difference is only one of them can enjoy their sin. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. When God saved me and when God saved you, He did not fix us where we could not sin but he sure did fix us where we could not enjoy our sin. That is exactly right. God loves you and me so much that he allows us to make the choice if we want to to go out into sin, but he loves us way too much to let us enjoy our sin. And these people in our text, their minds begin to wander back to a time and a place after 20 years where God was real to them. When they felt his presence, when God, when God's hand was upon the nation, when they walked in the light of his pleasure. But now here they are. Here they are in our text, Second, 1 Samuel chapter number 7. Here they are. They're separated from their father. They're surrounded by their foes. They're saddened by their failures and they're shackled by their fears. That's where turning away from God has got them. Can I say that again? When you and I turn away from God, we become separated from our Father. Sin separates us from God. We're separated from our Father. We're surrounded by our foes. We're saddened by our failure. And we're shackled by our fears. They'd been worshiping these false gods in verse number 3. They're lamenting. They're miserable. In verse number 3, Samuel said this, The worship of these false gods has left you dry, it's left you dead, and it's left you defeated. And if you want God to walk back in the same door that he walked out, you're going to have to return to the Lord. Look at verse 3. The Bible said, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts and put away the strange gods from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve Him only. You know what Samuel said? Hey, it's time to turn back to God. Put away these false gods and turn to the Lord. By the way, that's a good word for repentance. Return. Let me tell you what repentance is. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a return to the Lord. Isn't that that's a simple definition? But when we repent, we change our mind and we come back, we return to the Lord. And by the way, if you look at verse number 6, these people were broken about their sin. The Bible said there in verse number 6, they gathered together to Mizpah and they drew water and they poured it out before the Lord. Symbolically, as they poured that water out, symbolically what they were saying is these, these waters, this water represents the tears that we have shed over what we have done to our God. When they poured that water out, they were saying to God, may this water represent the inward condition of our heart. We're hurt that we've hurt you. We're grieved that we've grieved you. They're broken over their sin. By the way, there's not much brokenness over sin anymore. Am I right? It's not a lot of brokenness over sin 
anymore. But I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if we're right with God, transgression will still bring tears. Sin will still bring sorrow. Iniquity will still bring injury. If we are really saved, when we grieve God, it'll grieve us, and we'll weep after the Lord. Let me tell you what Ebenezer is. It is a place of repentance. When we put away the false and we embrace the real. Ebenezer, a place of repentance. But number two, look again in our text. Ebenezer is not only a place of repentance, but Ebenezer is a place of resurgence. Resurgence. What I mean by that is a place of revival. You see, if you look there at verse number four, the Bible, Samuel says to these people, now look, we're in a mess. I mean, for 20 years we have been in a mess. Look at you. You're miserable. You're weeping. Look at your life. Look at where we're at here as a nation. Samuel said, I tell you what, if, and, and we're, we're, we're in trouble. We're about to fight with these Philistines. They're back again. Man, we know 20 years ago the great defeat. The ark's been gone for these 20 years. And Samuel said, hey, we need to come back to God and we need to serve the Lord only. These people are now moved about spiritual things and spiritual matters. They were now taking their relationship with God seriously again. God was no longer just one God among many gods. You know, what's that song, Old MacDonald Had a Farm? Here a God, there a God, everywhere a God, a God, Old MacDonald Had a Farm. That was these people. They had a God for this and a God for that. But Samuel said, hey, if we're going to get God's help, we've got to put away all these gods and serve the Lord only. Maybe I should put it in Forsyth County language. What old Samuel is saying is this, man, we have got to get God front and center in our lives once again. We've got to get God off the back burner and put him, off, put him on the front burner. We've got to get God out of the trunk and put him back behind the wheel again and make God a priority in our lives. They even started asking Samuel to pray for him. Now I challenge you, go back chapter 4, 5, and 6, 20 years' time, they ain't been asking anybody to pray for them. Now they're at such a place, such a point in their life where they're in verse number 9, they're even saying verse number 8, Samuel, please, please pray for us. I mean, buddy, and by the way, Samuel did pray, verse 9. Samuel did pray, and the Bible said that the Lord heard him. Boy, I like that, don't you? Samuel prayed, and the Lord heard him. They got to the place where they had repented and got serious about serving God once again. And the first thing that happened is God started moving. When God saw their hearts, when God saw their tears, God stepped into that into that situation. And if you look at verse number 10, God is now no longer fighting against his people. Now he's fighting for his people. Boy, that's what we need, isn't it? I tell you what, I almost feel like, and, and, and I, I don't mean to over-exaggerate this thing. I'm not trying to... Um, over-dramatize it, you know. Uh, I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to embellish the situation, but I tell you what, it almost feels like the Lord's just walked off and left us here in America. And by the way, who could blame him? Like God has taken his hand off of us. And he said, okay, you think you can make it without me? Here, have a, have a hurricane or two. Hey, have a, have a COVID. Hey, 
have civil unrest and rioting and let the nation be torn apart at the seams. Now, how y'all doing without me? That's right. And in our text, we don't need for God to fight against us. We need for God to step in and fight for us. Hey, the greatest protection we've got in America tonight is Almighty God. Hey, it's not bombs. Thank God for bombs. I'm for a strong defense. Man, I say build it up. Get more tanks. Get more airplanes. Get more bullets. Get more guns. Get more bombs. I'm for that. But I'm here to tell you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest defense we've got in America is Almighty God. And if God takes his hand off of us, stick a fork in us, crank the bus, turn the lights out, put us in the freezer, friend, it's over. And the Bible said in verse number 10, when they repented, started weeping, Samuel started praying, the Bible said God showed up again. Look at verse 10. The Bible said, now here's these Philistines. I mean, the war's getting ready to break out. Verse 10, and as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder. I mean, simple, as simple as that. I mean, God just, I don't know what happened. He was scooting his furniture around in heaven. I don't know what happened. Maybe he's sweeping the floors of heaven. And it started thundering. And that thunder was so disturbing. That thunder was so loud. I mean, the Bible said that these people became disoriented, disconfitted, these Philistines. And the Bible said the Israelites rose up before them and they smote the Philistines. In fact, the Bible said, if you look down at verse 13, the victory was so great that the Philistines were subdued and they came no more into the land of Israel. I want to make a statement right here. I want you to listen to this. Israel went out to war against the Philistines and the results, because they had God, were, the, were disastrous for the Philistines. Now here's my statement. We so often talk about what God can do. But ladies and gentlemen, when we repent and turn back to the Lord and put Him first, we see what God can do. Hey, it's one thing for us to say, remember back in the 1950s? Hey, remember the 60s? Hey, remember the 70s? What God did back during those days? But I want to tell you something, he's still the same tonight that he was back then. The Bible said he doesn't change. And ladies and gentlemen, we don't have to talk about what he has done. We can see what he's doing. If we'll repent, turn back to the Lord, and put him first. So Ebenezer was a place of repentance. It was a place of resurgence. God's people are now moving back toward God. But here's my favorite part. Watch this. Ebenezer was a place of remembrance. It is a place of remembrance. What happened here that day was so magnificent. It was so mighty. I mean, it was so, it was so unbelievable that Samuel said, Hey, you know what I think we need to do verse number 12? Y'all go find me a big rock. Y'all go find me a boulder. Several of you strong boys, go find the biggest rock y'all can carry and bring it over here, verse 12. And the Bible said that he set it up and he gave that rock a name. It was a memorial. 
It was a memorial to the, to the greatness of God, to what God had done. said, set that rock up. From now on, we're going to call that rock in this place Ebenezer because this is the place where God helped us. It was a place of remembrance. Now, I've got two things I want to say, and I'm done, but I've saved hopefully the best for last. I got to thinking about number one in verse number 12, how this place of remembrance would soften their hearts. Now, when I say soften their hearts, what I mean by that is every time they would walk by this stone, they, were, they would be reminded of what God had done for them. They would be reminded of how good that God had been to them. That stone would stay there as a memorial and say to the people of God, be grateful, be thankful. Don't ever take for granted God's amazing help. Somebody once said this, that our blessings from God will either go to our head or they'll go to our heart. And, and Samuel wanted to be sure that Israel would never, ever forget the day that God thundered. The day when the nation of Israel put something on the Philistines that Ajax wasn't going to take off of them. The day that they, that they soundly defeated the nation of Israel, don't ever forget it. Put the stone up there, this place from now on, Ebenezer, and don't you dare forget what God's done for you. I can just imagine years later, now that I'm a grandpa, but I can just imagine years later, and one of the things that, 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 that my grandkids that we like to do, we have a creek behind our house. We don't do it in the summertime because I'm afraid of snakes, but when it starts getting a little bit cooler, I'll take my grandbabies by the hand and we'll go walking through the woods. We'll get us a stick and maybe a candy bar or two in our pockets and, man, we'll head to the creek. There's a big place up there underneath 52 that they've kind of dammed it up. It's a big hole, and it's probably over your head in the middle of that thing. And we'll climb up on the bank and throw rocks in there and throw sticks. And we'll look at deer tracks and holes that's been dug by foxes and groundhogs. And, and I mean, we just take a time walking through the woods. We'll turn over rocks and hunt for crayfish. I mean, we'll have a time. They love walking through the woods. Can I just see a grandpa walking along one day? He's got one grandbaby by one hand and one grandbaby by the other hand, and they're walking along through the woods and they come to this rock and one of those grandbabies looks over at their papa and he says hey papa what, what's this rock here what's going on with this and with a tear in his eye and a tremble in his voice he would tell them the story about how the nation had gone away from God how they turned their back on the Lord, but they started getting right with God. And God, the God who fought against them, was once again the God who was fighting for them. You know something I wish I would have done years ago, and I haven't? I'd like to encourage some of you younger, you younger fellas to do this, but I wish I'd have done this when I was younger. But I wish every time when the Lord had done something for me in my life, I'd went down in the woods and just found me a big old rock and set it up in the woods somewhere. And then I can just see when I got my grandbabies and we go walking through the woods and they say, hey, Papa, what's, this, what's these rocks here for? And I could take them to one. I said, that rock right there, that, that's when God saved me by His grace. 
That's when God stepped in and helped me when I couldn't even help myself. And that next one there, that's when God called me to preach. And I didn't deserve it, wasn't able to do it, still not able to do it. But that's the one that represents the call of God. And that one's the answered prayer. And that one's when God gave me a blessing. And that one's when God sent a check in to pay the bill. I wish I'd saved us. I wish I'd have set rocks up my whole life of what God had done. They may not have been many of them, but I'd have sure had some good stories to tell my little grandbabies about what God had done for me. Hitherto hath the Lord helped me. Ebenezer, it was a, a place to soften their hearts. But then can I say this? It was a place that would strengthen their hearts. Because can I tell you something? The Philistines will be back. The troubles were going to come. The droughts, the famines, the disasters, all that was going to troubles. Other nations would come and fight with them. But every time they walked by that stone, it would just remind them that the God who did it for them one time is the God who can do it for them again. And it would probably kind of just, when they was fighting these battles or when things, national disasters or whatever come upon them, and they walk by that rock, they could think, man, God took care of us back then. And that God who took care of us back then is the same God that can take care of us today. He's the same God that can fight for us now. He's the same God that can deliver us now. And it would not only soften their hearts, it would strengthen their hearts about what God has done reminds us of what God can do and will do for us. So I just want to say tonight, Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. I don't like Ichabod. I don't want Ichabod. I, I want nothing to do with Ichabod. But I want everything to do with Ebenezer. So when you start praying in these days, why don't you do this? Why don't you pray? For Ebenezer. I go down to preach every year, every year at this same church down on the coast. I go every year. It's been going on for years. And I go down there and I preach. Well, this past year, they canceled it this past year, year four last. Uh, so it's a, like a four-hour drive down there. And so I went to preach there. And I got there. When I pulled up to the stoplight, the church is sitting on the left. And I pulled up to the stoplight, looked over there. Nobody was in the parking lot. I had went on the wrong week. I drove eight hours, round trip. But I did get to stop and eat at Mamie's Drive-In, which is a greasy spoon, and I happen to like greasy spoons. But, so it wasn't a wasted trip. So I went back the next week. But that church to this very day, an old preacher started it years ago, same preacher that started this church years ago, but he started on, on, on the altar of that church a pile of rocks. And on, let's see, I believe it's on this side over here is people who come in and they'll write a name or they'll write just one word or two on a rock and they'll pile it up on this side of the church and they pray for the rock pile. And then every time that God answers a prayer, somebody gets saved, they'll take that rock and they'll put it over here on this side in this stack because that stack represents the prayers that have been answered. You know, maybe it wouldn't hurt us to start our own personal rock pile. And every time God answers a prayer, put it over here in this pile 
And, and you say, but man, I tell you, this is, a, this, is a, this is hard work over here on this. Yeah, but boy, don't it make you feel good when you walk by this pile and you've seen God has helped us. That's what we need in America tonight. We need an Ebenezer. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Let's bow our heads for prayer.